How do you leverage the power of creativity? How do you bridge the gap between creating and putting your work out there? And how does that relate to character building, healing, and connection? Join me on this journey to find out how creative thinking can help you move through challenges in life so you can confidently take up your space in the world. I'm Ginevra, and you're listening to Better Loud Than Too Late. The thing about grief is that you there's so much of it in our lives. We don't even always recognize that there's things that we're grieving about, you know. So uh, throughout our life, we have a lot of losses, you know, that might be uh, loss of a relationship, loss of a job, loss of a house, loss of a child, loss of our memory, loss of our independence, uh, you know, all kinds of things. And and loss involves grief. So uh, grief from one event in our life can sometimes come back at another time in our life when we go through a different grief event. And, um, you know, sometimes we, we don't even really realize it because mm. our brains are so complex and our hearts and souls are so complex and, and grief is such a complex thing too. Riding high amongst the waves, I can feel like I have a soul that has been saved. I can see the light coming through the clouds in rays. I gotta say it now, better loud than too late. Today I'm chatting to my close friend Bridget Kelly who left a public service job to build her business as an end-of-life doula. I'm going to talk about you as if you're not here. But no <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> what I like about her business journey so far is that it's a gentle one and she's growing her business with her own pacing and from what I understand, she's learning a lot about herself in that process. Bridget is all for helping people through their fears around death and I think our friendship has even helped me from that point of view and I've never been a fan of talking about death in detail and I think there's been a shift since I met Bridget so we're going to explore that and a lot more so hi Bridget. Hi Jen thanks for having me here. Thanks for being here. (laughs) So let's start with what is an end-of-life doula exactly mm-hmm. and what led you to consider becoming one? Sure. Um, so an end-of-life doula is sometimes called a death doula uh, or there are other similar terms as well. Uh, doula means to be of service and so an end-of-life doula supports people at the end of life but that being said, it, there's a very broad range of, of help that an end-of-life doula can give to people. Uh, so that might be uh, just helping somebody prepare an advanced care directive and their will and some of those more legal documents. Um, for other people, it might be going through their end of life if they have a, a terminal illness or something like that and being with them right up until the end and, and perhaps even supporting family and friends after they've died with mm-hmm. bereavement as well. Uh, it depends what people want and, and what resources they already have. Uh, and part of an end-of-life doula's role is just to be that extra pair of hands to support that person with what they want and need and to help them have more choice and control in over their end of life. Mm-hmm. And so with your experiences so far, is the role like what you expected? Yeah, well, uh, you mentioned that I've started my business gently and so I haven't had uh, a lot of experience as yet with people at the end of life. Uh, I've certainly done training and have had lots of conversations with people and um, doing some of those other roles of an end-of-life doula, which is things like education and awareness and um, building what we call death literacy, which is just helping people to become more comfortable with talking about death and dying. 
death literacy. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So uh, I haven't I haven't journeyed, for want of a better term, with many people uh, when they're actually dying. Uh, Is that something you want to do more of? So what, what do you want to delve into? Mm, look, I think there's so many different experiences that you can have with people at the end of life and because people's needs um, are so varied and different, I'm open to whatever comes along for me. So I've, uh, I mean, I do have some personal experience with people at the end of life and uh, that's partly what brought me to become an end of life doula, which I just realized was one of your first <laughs> questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I feel comfortable being in that space, even if I haven't actually had the direct experience of being there when somebody's actually died or, or had some particular experience that I haven't experienced myself. I think with what you've chosen to do, being comfortable in that space is, is key. Mm, like, I, I agree. Yeah. It's yep. not for everybody. Mm. So you and, I, you and I are big music fans mm. and yesterday there was the death of Tina Turner yep. and I was reading, just doing some reading and apparently because of her kidney issues she was ready to be involved with um, an assisted suicide group called Exit mm -hmm. and naturally I thought of you because you're the only person I know of that's had um, a an ex direct experience with voluntary assisted dying. Yeah. And I know there's different names for that mm. process. So are, are there any distinct differences between? Yeah. So uh, in different countries around the world where there is uh, this kind of um, opportunity for, for some people to end their life on their terms, uh, there are different names for it in different countries. Um, and a lot of that really comes down to the legislation that is behind that ability to, to end people's lives. And also, uh, I think from what I understand, the extent of uh, involvement from the medical mm. community as well. Uh, and that's why there's different terminologies between different countries. So, so assisted suicide is, is what exit uses, uh, but other countries use, uh, voluntary euthanasia, uh, legally assisted dying, physician assisted dying. Mm -hmm. Uh, in Australia, we use voluntary assisted dying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Should we quickly talk about how we met? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Do you want to start it off or do you want me to? <laughs> I think you should. All right. Well, we are school mums and we met when our sons were in reception. And, uh, well, the, the first meeting that I remember with Jen is we were walking back to our cars after doing the, the school drop-off. And uh, at the time I was going through chemo because I've had cancer before and uh, I was wearing a I don't know, a beanie or a scarf. I'm not quite sure what it was. Jen might remember. She's more of a You're fashionista. You're all in white. <laughs> all in white. Yeah. Right. And uh, I don't know how we got to talking about it, but um, I'm pretty open about most things in my life and, and certainly about cancer. And uh, yeah, I just mentioned that to Jen and um, I just remember her, uh, her reaction. She was just immediately so caring and compassionate and got quite teary and and was really just yeah just so concerned and my breath I mean my breath got caught in my throat because I'd never I'd actually never met up until that point never met anyone that had gone through chemo right yeah. or you know was going through cancer and so after I learned about your pivotal health experiences and the the caregiving roles that you've um taken on mm. in your life yeah um i quickly established that you are a life warrior of some sort <laughs> and that you've got superhuman emotional strength and it made a huge amount of sense to me that you stepped into an end of life doula role so i just wanted to 
to say that. Thank you. And, you know, even at that time, about a year ago, when I saw that nonfiction book at your place, which was called The Lost Art of Dying, um, I thought to myself, yep, that's Bridget. (laughs) That's clearly what makes her tick. Uh, But this got me thinking about, like, overarching themes in our life Mm -hmm. and how most of us have to overcome some sort of prominent issue. I think for me, not always, but, you know, sometimes we have an overarching theme. And for me, I think it's independence, which is another story for another day. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think yours is grief? Yeah, um, I think it's probably only recently that I've really understood that that it is grief. Uh, but when I look back over my life and see some of the challenges that I've had, uh, even if I was to put another name to those challenges, at the heart of those experiences is grief and loss. Uh, and, you know, so things like uh, the death of my mom when I was 26 and having cancer uh, and having other um, physical and mental illness that has really affected my life and having to deal with the loss of perhaps what might have been in my life or the fact that I've ended up taking different paths and so I've had to let go of some of the the ideas of how I thought my life might turn out. Mm. Uh, my, my nan, who I was very close to, uh, who actually lived a very long life but uh, did have dementia at the end, which changes the relationship that you have with somebody. Uh, So I can definitely see that there's been, you know, a lot of loss and grief in my life, uh, different different forms of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. When you spoke to me recently, I don't know if you want to get into this, Mm. but the – was it the tarot person? That oh, said? the kinesiologist. Oh, yeah. okay. Did yeah. You- and so, no, so, yeah, she she mentioned that that's my soul contract, you know, so that's if you believe in reincarnation and, and those kinds of things, you know, if, if we're here to learn a lesson or, you know, to, to do something uh, in, in this iteration of life, then I, I think that grief is, is the lesson that I need to learn. Mm. <laughs> Um, just going back to music, I know that you've already thought about songs that you want to have played at your funeral. <laughs> yeah. And I remember the first time we talked about it and I had a, a pretty dismissive attitude to it all because it just felt superstitious to me, like I'd be preempting things if I right. if I thought about it. Yes. Um do you want to share the five songs? That yeah, you have I have to list? open my book up though because it's okay. I can't I'll take quite a remember them. Sip of coffee. What oh, are you I doing? Might, I might have a sip of coffee too. <laughs> I guess the first one that I like is a, it's actually a um, an instrumental piece by Hans Zimmer, and it's from one of my favourite movies, which is True Romance, and it's it's actually called You're So Cool, but I didn't actually realise that until after I'd chosen it as my funeral song, but I love the fact that that's the name of it. <laughs> and uh, I just love this piece because it is, it's not really morbid, but it's not uh, really upbeat either. It's, it's, I don't know, I just, I've always loved that piece of music right from when I first saw the movie. It's one of the, the first the main things I remember about that movie. Um, Can I just interrupt for once? Because I listened to it. I knew you were going to say this song and I listened to it again last night <laughs> and it's so you and it's really joyful. It is. It's a really joyful piece and I was getting emotional while I was listening to it and I had to tell myself to like chill out. Bridget's not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think it does have a certain nostalgia to it though as well even though it's got that joyfulness to it and um it I again after I had already chosen this as a funeral piece but I found out that it was written for nine marimbas and um nine is my favorite number and Mm. I I think marimbas are beautiful instruments so uh but another song that I really would love to have at my funeral is hymn to her Mm -hmm. Um, that is, it's by the Pretenders, yeah. and I've always loved that song, and it really 
it just speaks to me a lot and it ties in with my own spirituality. Mm -hmm. But there's also another version of that song done by some um, Australian women Mm -hmm. uh, and I love that version equally partly because of those Australian women. They're women that I think are just amazing artists. So Mm -hmm. there's Katie Noonan and uh, Deborah Conway. Uh, and Angie Hart and some other women as well. And you've always yeah. been a big supporter of um, Australian music artists. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, another song that I would love to have at my funeral is um, a Cat Empire song, and it's called All Night Loud. <laughs> and uh, it's all about, you know, their, them being musicians and playing all night loud and, and you know, the, the relationship with the crowd and with the band, but I just see it as a metaphor for life. And, uh, I, yeah, I just would love to have that at the end of my mm. funeral. But, look, there's a few others here that I don't know if I would have them at my funeral, but they're on the list just in case. Mm-hmm. One's called On the Radio by Regina Spector. Mm-hmm. The other one is Forever Young by Youth Group. Or well, there's a few people have done Forever Young, but I uh. like the Youth Group version. Mm-hmm. And um, a song called Meet Me in the Middle of the Air by Paul Kelly. It, it's got very religious Christian overtones. It's actually got words uh, from, I think they're probably from Psalms. Uh, I certainly recognise them from my Catholic upbringing. Uh, and so actually that kind of goes against what I would ordinarily like but um I've heard that song done live as well that's where I first heard that song and it was just yeah it was just so um moving Mm. and uh and every time I I hear a different version of it it's very artistic and uh it's quite powerful even though it's quite simple I'm going to put the songs in the in the show notes um for people to if they want to look them up then they can um I I can't I still can't bring myself to seriously think about songs I would have. There's probably going to be a Pearl Jam or an Elvis song in there, <laughs> um, but I can tell you what I won't be having, and that's um, uh, well the English version is Time to Say Goodbye. The Italian version is Do I say in my European pronunciation <laughs> Conte Partiro by um, Andrea Bocelli. Mm. Conte Partiro. Um, <laughs> That's how I uh, would say it. <laughs> do you know? Do you know the song? I, I know the song. Yes, yeah. Uh, although I only just understood what the words actually meant. I'd, I've heard it played at funerals, but mm-hmm. I never actually knew what the words were until right. I looked it up. It yeah. is the song for like within my Italian community. You know, every funeral I've been to, that song gets played and. The first time I heard it was at my grandfather's funeral and it was, to me, it just was, just spelt death. And for mm. a while I couldn't, I couldn't hear it because all I could picture was the lowering of the casket. Yeah. Um, and then I listened to it again this morning and you can, for me, I can almost, like you can see these black clouds in human form coming to like accentuate the grief and sadness in people that that's what I get right. out of the song yeah um but yeah I think I'm I just wanted to talk about that because thanks to you I've realized that we don't have to choose these extremely solemn sad songs that you know that are designed to keep us in that misery yeah you know yeah. Yep. So, um, well, I think there's a few things with that, Jen, because uh, when I now that I've read the words to that song, even though it is a, a solemn and sad song, and I completely understand how you feel when you hear it, uh, the words are quite—I don't know if hopeful is the right word—but you know, it's it's really about being being together in spirit even after somebody's died. And so that's really quite beautiful mm. and quite a, a lovely sentiment. Mm. And uh, I think I think part of the reason why people have really sad, very hard-hitting songs at funerals is because uh, it's good to be able to access those feelings of sadness and grief. 
And it's hard for people to do that. So if music can take you to that place, even though that's an uncomfortable feeling for us, it's actually good for our grieving process Mm. to actually feel those emotions and access those emotions and process them. Mm -hmm. So those sad songs have their place. Mm -hmm. But for me, I also feel like for a funeral is uh, not only a way to, to really help the grieving process, but definitely a celebration of a person's life. And so for that reason, I, I agree with you. It's great to have other types of music that aren't necessarily all kind of sad and doom and gloom mm. uh, because having music that celebrates that person's life is, um, you know, such a positive thing. Yeah. And it, it is such a hauntingly beautiful song like I tried to listen to it without thinking about you know my my grandfather's funeral and mm-hmm. um and then you know I tried to rewire it I was like what if I was I don't know doing everything backwards while this song was playing <laughs> like you know when because it, it's just the memory association yes um yes yeah, so I wanted to put this out to uh, anyone that's listening if you have thought about your songs that you want played at your funeral um let me know on social what they would be because I would love to hear that yeah I'd love to I'll keep track of that myself <laughs> see what people put down <laughs> um so continuing with death and music with um Tina Turner but also at the beginning of May one of my favorite artists Gordon Lightfoot um died and I had never met anyone that had gushed over his music like I <laughs> I did so it made me a bit sad but to, to not really I wasn't really able to I had to you know go online and read all the tributes that were kind of pouring in about him and that made me feel less less alone but I just wanted to know if you know with were there any musicians whose whose death you clearly remember yeah I've been finding you know I guess we're we're getting a bit older so the older we get then those musicians that we've grown up with it's only natural that they're going to die so Mm. Certainly over the last few years there's been you know quite a few musicians that have been really part of my childhood and young adulthood and well, their music has been anyway and they've died and I've found myself uh, just kind of ha- having my own little ceremony I guess and, and having like playing their music and just um, you know spending a bit of time celebrating their life and their legacy and their music uh, and I often I try and play it for my son as well so that he can learn something about quality music um, <laughs> but I, I guess for for me a lot of it is there's the sadness but there's also that uh, gratefulness mm. that those people and and I guess for me I you know those artists were in the world and mm. were able to make such amazing amazing music and share that with the world so that's what I tend to take away from mm-hmm. from when musicians die. But I have to say when David Bowie died, uh, I would never have called myself a huge fan. I liked David Bowie, but um, I had never seen him live and, uh, you know, certainly couldn't name all of his albums and <laughs> that kind of thing. But I just felt compelled to play his music every day after he died for mm. about – Oh, six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. It was just, oh, it was like there was something whispering in my head, you have to play David Bowie. And mm. I would just, yeah, like every every day play some David Bowie. So I think the whole world felt that one. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so we've, I just wanted to mention this as well because we've tried to make this interview happen before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I had felt like, our past efforts just weren't really us mm-hmm. and um, more about more my issue. I just wasn't just just wasn't myself during the interview. And so we're here again today. And I wanted to say that you've been pretty instrumental in in my startup phase as a podcast host as I try to feel around for what my style 
is. And I just wanted to thank you for that, oh, first of all. Um, but one of the reasons that I, I felt like I couldn't make the interview work before was because I was trying too hard to make the death theme bit into um, this show with its premise of, you know, of creativity. Mm. And then recently you gave me the reminder that death is like constantly explored in art form. And I mean, I can't name any artists that haven't touched on death in one way or another. Mm. So it, first of all, it amused me that I couldn't think of that <laughs> before. But with that in mind, let's move on to books, yeah. um, which is my jam because I'm a writer. And you gave me a list of books that you've read recently that touch on death. Yeah. Um, I've got that list here. What did you want to, do you want me to say your yeah, list? Yeah, you, you say it while I have a coffee. Okay, yep. Just want to take a moment to talk about how much I love coffee. If you listen to the trailer, then my coffee fixation was pretty obvious. I'm pumped to have Cecilia Coffee sponsoring the show. I'm always happily caffeinated, thanks to these guys. I personally love and drink their organic fort blend. They also have organic decaf as well, if you need to ease up on your caffeine intake. Their coffee is Freshly and locally roasted here in Adelaide, South Australia. And you can check out their range by going to ceciliacoffee.com.au. That's S-I-C-I-L-I-A. Use coupon or discount code LOUD10 at checkout to enjoy 10% off your first order. LOUD10 as in L-O-U-D-1-0. Um, so we've got Cloud Street, Bridge to Cherubithia. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Harry Potter books, especially Deathly Hallows, All Our Shimmering Skies, The Dictionary of Lost Words, and Moonstone. <laughs> um, I'm going to, again, put these details in the show notes afterwards. But when I'm curious, when you read about death in fiction, do you sometimes get insights that you can apply to your role as a doula? Yeah, definitely I do. Uh, In some ways it's perhaps quite subtle, uh, but I still think it's really relevant. Uh, I find now when I'm reading uh, or even if I'm reading uh, lyrics or, you know, other other forms of art as well, when I see death I, I view it in a slightly different way. Uh, so sometimes it's that I can really relate to it. And so it, um, when I'm seeing it in that art form, particularly literature, I'm really, uh, I guess it's helping me to process Mm. my own grief and my own experiences and to consolidate those experiences a bit more or to feel into them a little bit more Mm. and there's then those other experiences that I read about that I haven't experienced in my life and although grief is different for everybody uh seeing a a different experience of grief uh, in that form of literature helps me to learn about what it might be like for someone to go through that experience Mm -hmm. and so that really, I feel, helps me to, to be more empathetic and more understanding of, of those experiences. So mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like I get a lot out of, out of reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, for the listeners out there, books that you've read that touch on death that have really moved you, I would love to, to hear about those. So let me know on social. Um, back to your list. Moonstone sounds interesting. Who, who wrote that? <laughs> well, Moonstone's a book by a, a new up-and-coming author by the name of Ginevra Siciliano. Thank you for reading it, by the way. It was my pleasure. <laughs> I started reading it and I couldn't stop. And I was actually surprised at the, uh, not the amount of death, but that there were some <laughs> elements of death that I, I wasn't exper- expecting from Jen (laughs) yeah and it was really surprising to hear you say that because you'd always given me shit about never wanting to talk about (laughs) death um 
maybe it was just easier for me to explore through characters. Mm. Okay, enough about me. Your business is called Rhiannon Service. Tell us the significance of that name and why didn't you call your business your own name? Mm. Well, I've I've never had a business before. It's a very new thing for me to be a, a sole trader. And uh, as much as I I very much feel like my business is a, about me and about my human experience and about me guiding other people <laughs> with my human experience. So mm-hmm. I just thought, well, I'll just wait and the name will come to me. And uh, so much of the development of my business has been intuitive and uh, and that's come to me through various uh, various means, you know, through just thoughts that I have and meditation and um, cards and crystals and (laughs) kinesiology sessions and, you know, coincidences and all kinds of things. Uh, And one of those things was I I was guided to do some goddess guidance oracle cards, Mm -hmm. which I've never had uh I'd had in my house for about two years but I'd never actually actually used before but mm-hmm. I just felt this strong need one day to get these cards out and have a bit of a play with them and um in doing that I pulled out several cards and every goddess that I pulled out had a, a message to me that really just resonated with me and uh, in the end, I pulled out nine cards. I mentioned before, nine's my favorite number. And I just had this strong feeling that even though every card I pulled out had real significance, that the number nine card was going to be mm-hmm. the most important card. And when I pulled out the number nine card, it was Rhiannon. The, the book has a little thing about the goddess and there was just this um, sentence that just was just so relevant to what I wanted to do about Rhiannon. It says, she lovingly carries souls from earth to the afterlife plane upon her trusty white horse, helping them adjust to the transition of life after death. And I just, it was perfect. And I just uh, felt like my, my, name had to have something to do with Rhiannon mm-hmm. and the fact that doula means service uh, to be of service uh I I thought that Rhiannon's service was a really so it came together yeah. yeah yeah so you are someone that um carefully and deeply considers the significance of things mm-hmm. like everything and let's take your son's his his beautiful artwork that you used for your business card. Yeah. Um, just tell us, you know, about this painting, mm-hmm. like why it was perfect for Rhiannon's service. Yeah. Well, again, I kept on getting intuition. Um, I, I had this picture up in my house and I would, I just kept on getting drawn to this picture and thinking I, I need to use that as my business card or, you know, uh, but the, the more I looked at it, the more I realized there was a lot of symbolism symbolism in that. And mm. so even though this tree is dead, um, I don't know if you can see, but at the base of it, there's these little flowers growing. There's actually a couple of branches on the tips that still have new leaves. Uh, and then it has the path along the side, which is just going into the horizon. And, you know, to me, that's that's actually about life and death that path could be going to the other world or the afterlife it could be going to a new life Um, it could be the path of somebody's life from Mm -hmm. birth to death Uh, and even just the colors of the sky I just think are so beautiful and they're not actually you you don't really know what time of day it is it could be morning it could be Mm. evening you know um I just think there's so much symbolism in there. Mm. Um, I love the vibrancy of it as well. Yeah. I will also put a um, I'll put a picture of that in the show notes too, so you guys can see it. And so, knowing you and your style, and uh, you mentioned symbolism before, you're someone that you do pay attention to signs. Mm. 
and you seem to recognize that 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 feeling that knowing feeling when you when when you perceive something as a sign yeah um which then like activates your your intuition and like even the way that you named your business is an example of that so what I wanted to ask you is when when it comes to decision making if intuition is one tool um tarot is another I think I think mm. I had my first my, read my first tarot card with you yeah that's right um and you also use the pendulum sometimes. Yes, so yeah. can you please tell us about that? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, a few years ago I started to use the pendulum. I, I Again, like the goddess cards actually, I'd had it sitting there for a couple of years but I hadn't actually used it. And I actually started using it uh, for uh, a very specific thing which was related to some dietary kinds of things. Uh, but once I started becoming more familiar with using it, then I started using it for other things as well. And uh, like all of these tools, I I take them all with a grain of salt. I you know I I I believe that my intuition is is what's most important, not these tools. Uh, but they do just help to reinforce. Reinforce yeah. sometimes can look at something from a slightly different perspective mm-hmm. or make me think about something that I haven't maybe considered mm-hmm. in that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, yeah, I find the the pendulum quite useful at times. Yeah. I've only had one pendulum experience and it wasn't a positive one like yours have, yours have been. Mine, mine was actually really scary and you know, I was in primary school and my cousin and I were, we were being silly. Like we were just asking it a bunch of silly questions and we were laughing about it. And so we weren't, we weren't really being respectful of the process. Mm. And um, I still remember the way the pendulum just swung out of control in her hand and I knew that she wasn't orchestrating it. And we put that shit away. <laughs> And we were like, thank you, Pendulum. We are now done for life. <laughs> so I, you know, admire that you were able to use it in more controlled conditions. But, yeah, it wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah. I, look, I understand that because I had a similar experience also when I was young with the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it really scared me too. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think you need to use what's comfortable. Yeah. So the philosophical phrase, memento mori, Mm. it translates as remember death or remember you die. Mm -hmm. And it's a a stoic thing. And I I turn to it as a kind of strategy sometimes when I can't decide what I need to get done in my business or other parts of my life. And um, I wondered, I was wondering what your thoughts were, like whether you used it for anchoring I guess but then I realized in in your line of work uh, most of the time you're coming into contact with people that are already facing death and they don't actually they don't really need more anchoring they're kind of already there and are you that are you helping them move through that stuck fearful stage yeah well there's, I mean, there's a few things in there, Jen. I, I mean, I think not everybody who is at the end of life is necessarily stuck in uh, their acceptance of death and dying uh, or their grief. S- certainly some people do get stuck and uh, there's a lot of a lot of different ways that people might get unstuck, but ultimately it's it's that individual person's journey <laughs> and, mm. uh, and I can only um, guide them so much or uh, I would say the end-of-life doula's role is to really empower people to try to to work through that. Uh, and in terms of the memento mori, I can't say – I know what it is you're talking about, but I, I can't say it's something I've used myself really. But that concept of knowing – that you're going to die, um, I'm, I'm certainly familiar mm. with that. But uh, I think for someone with the experience that I've had where you've actually had to face death at a younger age, 
I've had that memento mori moment and then I've kind of worked past it. And so uh, – Are you I'm, saying that you've never really needed it? Oh, it's not that I've never needed it. I think it's just that it's – I've worked through that and now I've gone to a mm. different place. Mm-hmm. So when I had cancer the second time, I uh, certainly had, you know, a lot of, of thought and uh, a grieving process of recognising that I might not live a long life mm. and that, um, yeah, that I could die, you know, really quite young. And um, I – processed that in four days while I was actually in hospital, which doesn't sound like a long time, but it was, uh, it was an amazing, uh, I had time to myself to just, to process it without interruption from (laughs) visitors. And, you know, I didn't have people kind of telling me what to think. And uh, I was actually, the more I think about it, four days on your own with, with zero, is actually a long time. Yes. Think about it. Like, yeah, it was. Yeah. And um, especially because, you know, in your hospital, there's really not much you can do. Mm. <laughs> and uh, actually I did, I mean, I, I was in a ward with other people and there was this woman on my ward who was an older woman and she had, she'd been seriously injured and, you know, they didn't know if she was going to pull through. And uh, we actually had some really amazing conversations over those four days and they really had a big impact on mm. me. And uh, I really came out of that four days uh, with a, yeah, a, a much better appre- appreciation that I was going to die mm. and whether that was in a year or 20 years or whenever that was that I was, I, was, I could accept that and understand that. And I actually, I guess I evolved beyond that memento mori kind of concept. And, and my my little mantra, I guess, became here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> <laughs> this week you, you went to a death cafe. Mm-hmm. So personally, I wouldn't be caught dead there. <laughs> Sorry, mum joke. Um, but... Yeah, tell us what that was like. Yeah, I've been wanting to go to a death cafe for um, a good couple of years and I haven't been able to get to it. So it was it was really uh, fascinating for me and I was, I was so glad to be there. Uh, what a death cafe is, is uh, an opportunity and a space for people to uh, be with people with a, perhaps a similar uh interest or perhaps need to be able to talk about death and dying for some reason without there being that uh, judgment or that awkwardness or, um, you know, certainly you can have the emotion, uh, but uh, it's it's expected because you're talking about death. And uh, for some people, uh, especially people that, uh, you know, uh, have either maybe been a carer for somebody or who have maybe had a terminal illness for a long time or um, uh, perhaps older people and just wanting to get ready for the end of life because perhaps family members or friends have not been able to, to talk to them about death and dying for various reasons. A death cafe for those people in particular can be a really supportive place Mm. and safe place to just be able to talk about death and dying and uh it's you know it's not only for people at the end of life um all kinds of people attend death cafes and you know there was certainly a mix of ages um and experience at the death cafe that i went to the other day was someone were there like counselors guiding the experience or no so there was a facilitator Mm. there's not always a facilitator sometimes uh it's a, a bit more uh loose but uh it's important i guess for me to mention it's not a a grief counseling group so it's it's different than a grief counseling group it's not it's not there to support people's grief and loss experience it's more there to have um a safe and open and welcoming space to be able to discuss any issues um that are related to death and dying Mm, okay yeah you said before that when you spent 
that four days in hospital, you came to like an acceptance of death. Is it, you know, for some people, do they have to, like even though you accept it in the moment, you know how they say healing is an up and down process. Mm. Does it come back? Like once you accept yeah. You know, does it, does it? Yeah, definitely. So uh, I think the best way for me to answer this question is by uh, talking about the stages of grief, which some people might have heard about or read about in the past. And that concept's been around for, oh, I remember it from when I was pretty young. Uh, and the the person that people might know is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And she was the person that really identified and wrote a lot about the five stages of grief. Um, and since then, there are uh, there's been some additions and changes made to that. So uh, now some people talk about six or seven stages of grief, uh, but it's important for people to understand that in these stages of grief, they're not sequential. It's not a linear thing at all. You don't move through one and then go to the next one, mm-hmm. and and um, and then once you've done one, you know, you can you can go back to it. So really what these stages of grief are is uh, that they're they're different ways of experiencing grief and and processing and moving through grief but they can come back uh you know in, in all different types of ways mm. and uh the thing about grief is that y- you there's so much of it in our lives we don't even always recognize that there's things that we're grieving about you know so uh, throughout our life, we have a lot of losses, you know, that might be uh, loss of a relationship, loss of a job, loss of a house, loss of a child, loss of our memory, loss of our independence, uh, you know, all kinds of things. And, and loss involves grief. So uh, grief from one event in our life can sometimes come back at another time in our life when we go through a different grief event and um you know sometimes we we don't even really realize it because mm. our brains are so complex and our hearts and souls are so complex and and grief is such a complex thing too so mm. as much as 4 days was a great way to process uh that I and understand that I was going to die I'm sure if I get the news that I'm going to die uh you know um sometime in the future it's it's still going to to hit me and it's still going to require some some processing and yeah, okay. some anger and denial and bargaining and all those stages of grief that mm-hmm. that people experience uh but i feel just that, very quickly what yeah. are the just can you name oh so there's anger denial bargaining uh acceptance i always forget one so that's okay. the five but um i guess for me one of the uh, when when people talk about the six stages of grief the the kind of the new one to the five is uh uh meaning and uh that's a, a big part of one of the other things i do in my business which is my my life story sessions program as well and um i think having meaning in our life is so important for our mental health so yeah, I, I think. Just quickly tell yeah. us about your your life story session. Yeah, so life story sessions is a program that I've developed as uh, a way to, well, it's to help people recognize and understand that they have had a meaningful life, and that is because uh, having a meaningful life has been correlated with uh, really good mental health outcomes. It's it's although you know, I guess we're often feeling like we're on this quest for happiness. Uh, Meaning is probably a more relevant uh, and deeper kind of thing to strive for in life. And if we can have meaning in our life, then, you know, we can have a, a better quality of life. And would you say that we we, we've, we feel the gratitude deeper when we have established that meaning or not well yeah I think you know so I 
I've, I've designed my program to be offered to particularly people that are perhaps in a transitional phase in their life. So mm-hmm. perhaps they're older and they have to leave their home and go into a nursing home or they've had a, a fall or an illness and, and have to maybe make a life change. And when people, you know, that's coming back to grief because that's coming back to loss. Mm-hmm. So when people are dealing with grief and loss, you know, sometimes you feel like you've lost a part of yourself or you've lost a, a big part of your life. And what my life story program is about is really about people looking back over their life and recognizing that they've had a lot of meaning in their life Mm -hmm. and uh, that even though some of those things might be gone, there's still a a great deal that can be taken out of that. And and that just because the things are gone now, it doesn't mean that their life doesn't have meaning now. Mm Mm-hmm. It's purposeful, another word that you could attribute to that? Yeah, well, that's one of the – my life story sessions goes into the different ways that we have meaning Mm -hmm. in our life and having a purposeful life or having purpose in your life is is one of the main parts Mm -hmm. of having – of recognising meaning in your life. Okay, great. Well, if you wanted to chat to Bridget about her her life story sessions or – other offerings you can send her a message on social i'll put the links in the the show notes as well sure. um also if you if you wanted some resources around death and dying i'm pretty sure bridget will have a few that she can share <laughs> with you i know she'll be an excellent help um and bridget my beautiful friend thank you for being here and for being in my life and all the best with Rhiannon's service. Thank you, Jen, and thanks for being my friend and in my life too. <laughs> Thank you again for listening. If you'd like to support the show, please leave a review or share it with a friend. If you'd like to support me as a writer, please check out my free newsletter where I share my creative nonfiction. Head to ginevra.substack.com. Until next time. <laughs>